Well, it's our joy to turn in the, to the book of Daniel and pick up in our study in Daniel's prophecy. And Lord willing, we'll finish this first chapter tonight. It's a thrill as we look here at Daniel verses 8 through 21. This is the joy of looking at narrative. We get to stick in a section and move a lot faster. Daniel is, again, that remarkable prophet, that remarkable man of God, the man of character and virtue. And tonight we get to look at the demonstration of those character traits in Daniel. It's helpful for us to remember that as Daniel here is taking this stand that he is going to, we're going to see in this hour together, that Daniel takes this stand while just a youth. A young man between the ages of 14 and 18, he's facing these challenges and facing it in a way that uh, demonstrated the uniqueness of his character and ultimately demonstrated why God looked upon Daniel with such favor. And we noticed the last time in verses 1 through 7, the context for compromise the various ways in which Daniel faced temptations and difficulties. He faced it in isolation. The boys had been removed from their home life and all personal restraints had been taken away. They were under ungodly influences, the pagan leaders of the Babylonians' authorities. They were physically healthy, good-looking, smart, and capable. They, They were tempted to trust in their own personal abilities, and yet they did not rest in their own natural abilities. They were introduced to the ideologies of the Babylonians, the teachings, the doctrines of the Babylonians, and formed with all of what they believed. They were introduced to the Babylonian gods. They even were challenged with various incentives, promised good food, promised the best education, even promised the best jobs if they had complied to the Babylonian system. And on top of that, they had the challenge to their own personal identities. They were given new names altogether, new identities to represent the Babylonian culture and context. It is that particular context that any one of those things could have drawn Daniel and his friends' heart away from God into the Babylonian culture. As I thought through all of that, I recognize this is Satan's playbook to compromise He will draw us away from the authorities that we are under, away from our families, away from our friends, away from the accountability that we had in the body of Christ or in our families. He moves us away from that influence into pockets where we're isolated. He seeks to put various influences in our lives, whether that is teachers at school, whether it's authorities out in the political world, but he will put some kind of influence and authority, something over us that could even be a boss, some kind of wicked ruler tempting to draw us away. And then he will cause us to trust in our own strength, our own wisdom, our own understanding, trusting in our natural abilities rather than walking in faith, they may even force upon us various ideologies, various teachings. He will tempt us with rewards. He will tempt us with personal success, greater opportunities, and he may even tempt us to engage in the world's image. All of this trying to draw us away from God to cause us to abandon the living God and to live more for ourselves, That is the context of compromise. That is what causes us to be challenged to respond. All of these various draws that would move us away from God, and this was what Daniel found himself in when he was taken out of Jerusalem into Babylon. He found himself in this circumstance. Many of these things he couldn't change. He couldn't change his circumstances. He couldn't change the authorities. He couldn't change his education, what he was being learned, what he had to learn there. He couldn't change any of those things. And yet, as we're going to see, Daniel faced all of these various challenges, but he sought to remain dedicated to the Lord. As I said, many of these things we can't change. We don't have any control, per se, over who is over us as leaders. I mean, after all, 
We have one vote. I can tell you my vote didn't go for certain candidates. We only have one vote, and our kids grow up. They move out. They're not always at home. They're not always under our influence. And you can't you know, pick your natural abilities and what the Lord gives you. You didn't come out having a selection and say, well, I want this much strength and this much wisdom and this much beauty and this much etc. No, you don't get those choices. They're granted to you. So some of these challenges we cannot ignore. They, they're given and we have to respond faithfully. But there are some things that we must take a stand on. And this for Daniel came in verse 5. When it says there that the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he had drank and appointed that they should be educated three years and at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. It was a particular incentive as we noticed here. It became this particular incentive that Daniel decided now I must take a stand. Verse 8, Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. There was a particular point where the line was for Daniel, this is too far, I cannot go any further, I must stop. And what we begin to see in verses 8 through 21 are the character traits of a faith-filled life. And what we see in the midst of this is Daniel's faith and God's protection. And I love this, looking at this particular text, particularly because I think about when we are in the midst of our challenges and sanctification, we tend to see all of our personal efforts and we think we're alone in it. We tend to think, God, I'm doing all of this by myself. Who's helping me in all of this? Where are you to be found? But what we see in Daniel 8 to 21 is the demonstration of this marvelous principle that God is at work in and among us as we are working in that. In fact, I was reading that in the hymn there, at the, in hymn 150, How Firm a Foundation. In the, the second stanza there, talking about God preserving us and protecting us through fiery trials that we will face. He will cause us to stand. There is a sense that within God's work, He causes us to stand firm. And that's what's demonstrated in this particular text. That we can say for certain, salvation is a work of God, a monogistic work. God works, God regenerates, God causes us to be drawn to Him. Sanctification is a synergistic work. Man is walking and God is working among us. He is, after all, conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what's demonstrated here in Daniel. Daniel demonstrates for us six evidences of a faith-filled life. These evidences, as I'm going to point out, three of which are Daniel's direct activity and three of which are God's divine protection upon Daniel. We'll just unfold them and point them out as we work our way through this particular text. But what this begins to demonstrate when you begin to look at Daniel and you begin to look at him walking through this difficult situation, what you begin to see is this, that the godly person is an enigma to the natural man. The godly person, as he is conducting himself and walking in faith, is an enigma, a confusion to the one who is natural in their thinking. Daniel is, again, to remind you, a captive. But you read this text, and he does not come across as a captive. Daniel had influence among authorities. And yet here he was, a captive. Daniel is a young man in the king's court. And he shouldn't be in the king's court as a young man, and yet there is where he is found. Daniel rejected the lavish life 
that could have been brought to him, and yet he found satisfaction and blessing by rejecting that lavish life. Daniel kept doing what is right even in the face of opposition and hostility, which ultimately should have brought conflict and difficulty for him, but instead God blessed him and rewarded him. Daniel walked in integrity. He believed upon his God. He trusted upon his God. And that faith-filled life demonstrated itself in marvelous ways. To the natural man looking at it, it looks bizarre. To the righteous, to the godly, we see this is the hand of God on a person. And God is moving him. I'll read the text and then we'll come back to it. Start in verse 8. Here's what Daniel writes. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king. Who has, appointed my, uh, who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please, Test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine which they were to drink, and he kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of various dreams. Then, the end of the ten days, which the king had specified for presenting them, for the end of the specified days, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and out of all of them, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. In this marvelous text, as I said, there are six character traits of a faith-filled life. The first is this, a dedication to purity. There's a dedication to purity. We see this in verse 8, as Daniel states out, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. The phrase there, he made up his mind, captures the idea well. Daniel dedicated himself, purposed in his heart and mind, he was not going to defile himself. It was his choice. Out of which, then he chose, he recognized here, the reason he would be defiled is if he would have taken the king's food. So he had determined that he was not going to take of the, of the king's food. A couple possible reasons why this could have been a problem that would have defiled Daniel. It could have been that the food itself violated the dietary restrictions that God had given to Israel. Israel had 
certain dietary restrictions given to it. Leviticus chapter 11 verse 3 describes there that you can only eat, you may eat any animal that has a split hoof completely divided and that chews the cud. That is there, the word and is the key. It must have a split hoof and it has to chew the cud, which means you could eat camel you could, or you can eat uh, all kinds of animals except for camel, rabbit, and pig. But you could eat sheep and goat and ox and steer and wild game, deer, wild goat, wild ox. So it could have been that they served the kinds of foods that would have violated this very practice. Or it could mean that they had taken that food, the Babylonians had taken that food, and offered that food to idols first. I'm suspecting by Daniel also resisting the wine because there was no dietary restriction on wine. Wine itself wasn't wrong to take the Jews. I was suspecting that there was some kind of cultish practice in the preparation of the food that Daniel was resisting. Daniel resisted this. And as the text says, he set in his mind that he was not going to defile himself. He was going to devote himself entirely to purity. He was going to dedicate himself to honoring God. And his, in his mind, he was set that he was going to honor the Lord. And I love this resolve. He was ultimately saying in this, I am not going to be led into evil. As much as it depends on me, as much as I have the choice, I am going to choose to honor God. He would not defile himself. He was going to remain holy to the best of his ability in the midst of this difficult situation. This was the first dedication of Daniel. He had determined to be, again, pure, to be dedicated We don't know how far Daniel was willing to go. We don't know if Daniel was willing to stay at this point. Look, I'll go on a hunger strike. Yeah, I'm not going to eat that. If I had to, then I'm just going to sit here on a hunger strike until I get what I want. We don't know how far Daniel had to go to resist. What we do know here is that there was a resolve in him. A resolve that he would not defile himself. And it may have been, and considering the stubbornness of Daniel, as we're going to see later in this book, he probably would have just gone on a hunger strike. I mean, after all, when they wanted him not to pray, he went out there and they wrote a law that it would be illegal to pray. On the very time that he was to pray, he went out, he opened up his windows, he sat in his customary spot, and he prayed. So certainly I wouldn't put it past Daniel to have the kind of resolve necessary to say, I'll go on a hunger strike if I have to. But what it demonstrated here is Daniel had a mind that was resolved to honor God. This is a faith-filled life. It's a life filled with dedication. A dedication to holiness, a dedication to righteousness. In fact, many struggle in their Christian pursuit because of this very principle right here. There is no resolve to honor the Lord. Just want to keep your finger here. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Because I'm just reminded of what Peter says there in 2 Peter 1. Starting in verse 5, says this, Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, what's the first thing he says you dedicate yourself to? Supply moral excellence. Be devoted to purity. Be devoted to a moral excellence, to purity, to uprightness, to righteousness. That is the very principle that Daniel practiced in Daniel 1 verse 8. He determined in his mind he would not be defiled. He would not be led into anything less than moral excellence. 
and turn back to Daniel. This is the faith-filled life. Mine was resolved. The heart was set on what was right. And this is the practice for, again, the righteous, the one who is living a faith-filled life. They walk in such a way that they are dedicated to righteousness no matter what the cost was, no matter what the sacrifice, no matter what effort it took, no, no matter how long it took, there was a dedication and devotion to the things of God. He had, as described here, an inner resolve. A resolve of the mind that would have led then to, and obviously as we'll see, led to an external practice. That's the first quality of a faith-filled life. The second quality is this. A humble persistence in devotion. A humble persistence in devotion. Saw this again, continued in verse 8. It says, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. He explained his problem to the commander of the officials. Persisted. Well, that commander didn't exactly like the answer or he sympathized with the problem. Verse 9 says there that he had compassion and wanted to show favor, but... As verse 10 indicates, he's fearful of the response. I, Daniel, look, if this doesn't work out and you look bad, my head's going to roll here. To which then, verse 11 comes in, but Daniel said, notice this is to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed. This is another leader. He went to the first guy, he asked the first guy for help, and the first guy says, I can't give it to you because if you come out mistreated, if you look bad, my job's on the line, and not just my job, my life is on the line. Daniel doesn't stop there. He then says, all right, you can't do anything for me. But the next guy, and he asks the next guy, this other guy who was put into place, verse 11 indicates, he asked him, Verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink and then let our appearance be observed in your presence. There is a humble persistence in devotion that Daniel demonstrates here. A dedication to to holiness, a dedication to righteousness that demanded a persistence even in the face of rejection. And hostility. Even when he was told no, it's not going to help you out in this way. He continued to press in. He wasn't easily swayed off of his convictions. He wasn't easily swayed off of his loyalties. He was persistent. In a humble kind of persistence, again, that's what's demonstrated there Well, in verse 12. Please test your servants. There is, there is a humility even in the request as he's moving from official to official seeking someone to grant him favor for him to do what he had dedicated himself to do. That is the character of the righteous man. The character that is demonstrated a persistent practice of righteousness. As we saw in Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, this practice will come with tribulations, and these tribulations uh, we have to persevere under. And that's exactly what Daniel is having to demonstrate here, some kind of perseverance to endure under the difficulties. In fact, there is a sense that if you make this kind of resolve, if you have dedicated yourself and your mind that I am going to honor the Lord at all costs, I'm going to seek to please Him, I'm not going to devile myself, well, friend, get ready. That dedication is going to be tested. It's going to be tested. Will you have a resolve to persevere? Will you have a resolve to, say, to stay persistently at the work? Even when somebody doesn't grant you favor right away, even when there's opposition to that, 
It's hard to walk in faith. It's hard to walk in honor the Lord, but it's even harder when those around you are resisting your efforts and desires, when they're making it more difficult. Daniel and his friends are saying, we're not going to eat of the king's foods, and all the rest of the pals are sitting around saying, you have not tasted this pork. This is the best pulled pork I've ever seen. Daniel's saying, I am not going to defile myself with that. It's not going to be easy. And yet there was a persistence on Daniel's part. We're not walking uh, in the first temptation that comes, the first resistance that comes says, oh, I guess it's too, too hard. I have to give up. No, there's a steadiness. But there was a humble steadiness was the key too. There wasn't an anger that one resisted him. There wasn't an anger because the first official didn't give him what he wanted. There was a humble persistence. A resolve that followed through. And even when it was difficult, Daniel kept asking, kept pursuing, kept finding one. And just to demonstrate the humility as well, back in verse 9, it says there that Daniel, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. The very guy who said no to him, Daniel still observed that there was compassion and there was favor from him. The guy didn't like what he ultimately concluded, but Daniel wasn't discrediting the guy, writing him off, becoming hostile towards him because he was opposed. He appreciated the guy's difficulty that he was under, and we continued to persevere. I love that. But what I also love about this particular persistence is that Daniel even realized he couldn't do this on his own. He needed help. He, he, wasn't, he exhausted his personal abilities, and now he is pleading for help, particularly from these officials. You know, Daniel, at this stage, couldn't go out and say, look, I'll, I'll do the shopping at Publix, don't worry. Um, I'll, I'll take care of what my dietary needs are. I can handle all of that, and I'll make sure that uh, we do everything we needed. Now, he knows that he is in a spot. In order to honor the Lord, he needs favor from others, and he is now entrusting himself. And again, this is the quality of faith that is demonstrated. I am going to pursue honoring the Lord, even when it's at I need somebody else's help to do it. I'm going to trust God will grant me that. That's the persistent faith. Persistent, continuing, humble faith. Not angry, not reacting to the mistreatment or to the nose, not pushing back when not getting his way. It was a constant demonstration of dependence upon God. That is a faith-filled life. This leads to the third quality. Protected by God. Protected by God. Again, looking at verse 9. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. Daniel, dedicated to holiness, Daniel, persistent in his pursuit of honoring God, also recognized God was protecting him in every step. God was looking out for him. I mean, this is, again, Daniel's insight into his own circumstances and situation. God is granting me favor. God was at work here, and even he could see it in the first official, while the official wanted to do it, recognized he couldn't. There was a favor there, a compassion, an empathy, and a willingness to say, I want to work with you, Daniel, and Daniel's acknowledgement here is realizing this is God's preserving and protecting. Ultimately, God gives it to him, and the next official who comes along, that next official listens to Daniel's reasoning and considers it and is willing to act. He doesn't have the same fear. What I love here is that Daniel observes the hand of God moving in the midst of his difficult circumstance. It was God granting the favor, God granting the compassion. 
Daniel wasn't in that work alone. He was there with God, and God's kindness was demonstrated around. And he points our attention to that, because when, again, as I said, when we're in the midst of our trials, when we're in the midst of the battle of sanctification, when we're taking the stand wherever God has called us to take the stand, we are often tempted to believe we are alone and isolated. There's no favor of God around we're out on an island by ourselves. We're out in the wilderness by ourselves. And there is a sense that we've got to train our mind to see God's good hand. Just as Daniel did right here. God granted favor and compassion. Yeah, even and most of the times when our enemies are warring against us, God is often sending others to us to minister to us. And so often we are so busy looking at the afflictions that we fail to see the ointments that God is supplying, the kindness that he's giving us, the protection that he has granted. Daniel was protected by the compassion of the officials. And even in the midst of that, as he was protected in this situation and he was granted favor, it didn't change his outlook. It didn't change his circumstances. He was still a captive. He was still taken out of his homeland and placed in this Babylonian context. He was still under all the same pressures. And now he had to live three years only eating vegetables. Well, we'll see in a minute. It's more than vegetables, but basically on a limited diet. Yeah, God was granting favor, God was protecting, but God was giving him what he needed to endure through the difficult situation. He wasn't alone. The hand of God was moving with him through this whole situation. God is often supplying to us the very graces we need. I think about this all the time. I think about this and just in regards to the church. You, the church, are expression of God's grace. I look around as God builds the church and he draws people in and they come together corporately gathering to honor the Lord. The way the Lord builds the church is an expression of his grace. Look, I have a poor personality and yet you still come. I rejoice in that. Not the friendliest guy, not the cutest guy, not the strongest guy, not the fastest guy, not the most brilliant in every way, and yet somehow we all still come together and God demonstrates it's beyond the little piece that He is demonstrating His work. He is supplying even in our difficulties. And we can see His good hand around We can see as he adds various gifts. We can see it as he adds to the body. I saw this in the last couple of years in a lot of different ways. I was thinking about the challenges of Grace Community Church in the last couple of years in California. When California created the laws and said that churches couldn't meet, and for a period of time, Grace Church, uh, as all churches were recognizing we were going to help do our part, Eventually, as it persisted from, you know, a few weeks to flatten the curve to, you know, two years to flatten the curve, at some point in there, we decided, right, this is unreasonable. We need to get back to worshiping and gathering. Grace Church went back and started gathering. Well, Grace Church was forced to shut down or threatened to shut down. They, of course, then went to court to have then the courts decide what was going to take place. And presiding over the court, over this particular case of Grace Church, whether or not Grace Church should be open, was a judge whose life did not align with the teaching of the church. The judge was a practicing homosexual. You would think at that particular moment, all right, all the cards are against the church. The government has said you should shut down. This judge ideologically is contrary to the church. And yet what happened? That judge ruled in favor of the church. A law-abiding judge who upheld the, the law saw that the church was standing in line with what was right, the laws of the land, and affirmed it. That is the grace of God granting favor to protect his people. Yes, you're facing opposition. Yes, you're facing difficulties. Yes, you're facing impossible odds. And yet, God is demonstrating this principle that he protects the righteous. 
that he shows favor in the midst of our difficulties. That as we're exercising faith and we're striving to honor him, we cannot lose sight of the reality. God is preserving and protecting us in the midst of it. Demonstrating a providential favor to his people. I was reminded of a time in our ministry life back in 2016. So I was reminded that Pastor Eric had just come on staff and he was around for a few months. We came into about October of that year. And if you remember 2016, that was a year of the presidential campaigns. And there was a bit of noise going around in the world of which candidate was going to take over. as a particular lady and a particular guy with a strange spray tan. The two of which were deciding who was going to take over as president of the United States. And all of the country was looking at this particular event and wondering what was going to happen. Were we about to head into a financial collapse? Is the world going to end as we know it? And everyone was focused on that. I remember that particular season because as elders, we were sitting at the church and we had gone through a couple of months where giving had gone down and we wondered what was going to happen. And in fact, it came up in an elders meeting where the request came, should we make, a, a, make the congregation aware? Should we go out and should we tell the congregation, hey, um, remember we're here and there are needs and we still have a pastor we need to bring on full time and we have a music minister we need to bring on full time and, uh, and things are looking bleak. I remember saying at that particular time, let's just finish the year and go a couple more months through November and December and we'll look at it at the end of the year and we'll come back and see what we need to do. It was right at that particular time a young woman came because some of our nursery workers were spending time with her son and said, you know, you really need to meet with Pastor Mark. And this young woman came up and said, okay, uh, Pastor, can we set up a counseling time? So we set up a counseling time, and before we had that counseling meeting, her fiancé came up to me. And said to me, uh, before he even introduced his name, he said to me, I work as a lawyer. Uh, I work with groups that set up trust funds that give monies to various charities, and we can give you a bunch of money. And I was thinking, I don't even know your name yet. <laughs> I'm glad you're willing to give, but I, I don't know you, or you, you don't know us. I remember that moment thinking, this is kind of strange that you're offering money before you're even offering your name, but here, I'll, I'll trust if you love the Lord, you'll just do the Lord's work. That week we met, the gal came into my office, so I like to tell our staff, that was my shortest counseling meeting ever, it lasted 15 minutes. In that 15 minutes, the guy walked into my office, sat down with the fiancé, and said the exact same pitch, which I stopped him and said, you know, you can talk to our church about that. We're here to talk about this counseling case. After getting the brief description of the gal's struggles with the son, I asked the gal about her relationship with the fiancé, to which I found out that the fiancé was still married to somebody else living with the gal, and they just, again, wanted us to overlook that and deal with the problem of the son. Of which I said to that, why would your son obey if they're looking at you and you won't obey? Well, needless to say, that ended very quickly. And they left as did all the promises of financial support for the church in a season which we were tempted in, in the state of uncertainty when we wanted to bring on our pastor and help him out and have him help the ministry and in the state in which we were uncertain about the economics. Two months later, January came, and a couple came up to me and said, you're busy. I said, you're right. And they said, we need to get you help here. And I said, well, we have help. We just can't afford him. 
What do you need? Well, we're about fifty to sixty thousand dollars short in our annual budget to to meet the need to bring on the music pastor and associate pastor full time. Okay, we'll write a check. And I did the most logical thing. I said, "Nope, not going to take your check." And he said, well, "Why not?" I said, "Well, because I can't take it for one year, and at the end of one year, we still haven't grown big enough, and then they're back, and now they're in a worse state than they were a year ago. They have to go back and find a new job. We can't. I can't do that to them." To which the couple replied back, "Okay, we'll support you for three years." Look back in God's favor in the midst of that, that He provided for all of our needs in the midst of that situation. As we dedicated ourselves to honoring the Lord, the Lord provided for our needs. Well, the great news about that is that we only needed the support for one year. The next year, the church grew so significantly that it not only cared for those pastors and went well beyond what the needs were, the Lord continued to supply. I often go back to this very principle here. God is preserving and protecting His people. All we have to do is trust Him and follow Him. He preserves and protects, even in situations that look impossible to us. Just as Daniel is sitting here, Daniel realized God granted him compassion and favor. Fourth principle, Daniel honored authority. He honored authority. You see this again in verse 10 and verse 11 and 12, particularly after verse 10 when the first commander said he can't do it. And he went to verse, the second commander, the overseer that the commander had appointed. He went to that individual, verse 11, and he asked him again, verse 12, please test your servants. In all of this appeal, there is an honor of authority that Daniel is demonstrating here. He was reasonable. He was gracious. He didn't exalt himself above that authority. He didn't speak down against that authority when it didn't give him what he wanted. He was genuine, gracious, kind. He kept seeking favor. He even, as indicated there in verse 12 and 13, he he gives a plan. He offers them a solution that would be workable. Test your servants for ten days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance be observed in your presence. Here's a, here's a reasonable plan. Test us. You evaluate. We trust your authority. I'm not asking you to go against your rights, your rule, your authority. He didn't offer them. He didn't say, look, you don't understand who I am. I'm Daniel, the most favored Daniel. The Daniel, I, I worship the most high God. You know, I have God on my side. You just need to obey. You need to follow my commands because you don't understand who I am. It's none of that demonstrated here. Instead, what's demonstrated here is a trust. Here, here's a plan. Would, it grant, would this plan be reasonable to you? Here's a reasonableness in this conversation. It wasn't bombastic, it wasn't proud, he wasn't self-exalting, he wasn't offering veiled threats, he wasn't vindicating himself in any way. He was humbly seeking and honoring authority in the whole process. Even when, again, Daniel was shown compassion and empathy, but not given what he wanted, Daniel kept at it, finally convincing a subordinate that he was trustworthy, continued to honor, giving this particular plan. And again, it wasn't discrediting that authority, causing an uprising, demanding by this uprising for them to change. It's a persistence. And I think, honestly, this principle the church is being tested in today. We're tested. Do we honor authority? Do we honor God's design, God's work? Do we honor those in authority even when they demonstrated wickedness? I mean, the Babylonians weren't great people. And yet, here was Daniel showing an honor, a respect to that authority, asking that authority, working with that authority, but persistent in his striving. He wasn't dishonoring it because he recognized ultimately God is the authority. 
God was using the Babylonians to accomplish His perfect will. God had raised them up. God had given them strength. God was using them as His instrument of judgment. God was doing all of His sovereign work. And Daniel was honoring that authority. We have to be careful, Christians, because oftentimes when we are fighting against those very authorities, we are fighting against or could be fighting against God's will in that situation. There's an honor. But two more character traits that reflect God's work. The next was an evident influence. There was an evident influence. Verse 14 and 15. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better than they who were fatter, or, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. There was an evident blessing, an evident influence that God had granted them. A providential credibility, we could call it. God had blessed Daniel and his friends, and he had blessed them in very short order. He gave them an influence in a very short period of time, 10 days. So I read the commentators, all the commentators said something like this. There's no way in 10 days this kind of diet could have had that kind of effect. You're right, unless God was providentially moving. You're right, unless God providentially caused food poisoning in one food and... Nothing in the other. You're right. If God isn't moving and directing in every detail, there's no way. But in this particular case, God gave an influence to Daniel. He gave a providential credibility to Daniel. They gave him then influence to which then the overseer saw it. As verse 16 says, so the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink, and he kept giving them vegetables. He kept giving them those vegetables. The idea there, the vegetables, is not the full picture here. The word is seed, uh, seed or sown. It's sown things or things from seed. This would be that anything that would grow from a seed, that's the idea. That would include vegetables, but it would also include fruits, grains, breads. Grains, of course, be turned into breads. Those things that came from a seed, that was what he was requesting here. I mean, it's not like Daniel was given Brussels sprouts for all that time. He had, for three years, he had more than just Brussels sprouts. He had the fruits and the grains. But there was an evident influence that God had granted to Daniel that gave Daniel, again, credibility. And again, the point is that this came from God. It shouldn't have been so fast. Ten days? For me, ten days, again, is the divine hand. I wouldn't have been surprised if somebody said to me, God gave the Babylonians and all the you know, Jewish youth that ate of the Babylonian foods Food poisoning? I totally believe it. It's reading in the white section, but God is completely capable within that moment in order to give Daniel the credibility. That's exactly what he did. As Daniel yielded in faith, dedicating himself to the Lord, the Lord gave him an evident influence. And that influence persisted for the rest of the three years because of his faithfulness. Which led to the last characteristic, blessed by God. Blessed by God. You see that from verse 17 through 21. These youths were blessed. They were given, as the text indicated, God gave them knowledge and intelligence, verse 17, in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. He was given a surpassing knowledge. He was blessed. Superior wisdom and understanding, superior to the Babylonians. For the Babylonians to understand visions and dreams is the greatest source of knowledge and understanding, and Daniel excelled in that. 
much so that the end in verse 20 indicates there, which the king consulted them and he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. These are far greater. These men excelled even his own trained magicians and conjurers. He was blessed ten times better. Blessed in his efforts. And he was only he was blessed, as verse 21 indicates, that phrase in Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. He was given a long and prosperous life, allowing to be the whole 70 years of captivity, living through that whole captivity. As I said, by the time that Daniel is writing this book, he is writing this while he is in his 80s, mid to late 80s. This is a reflection back on his life, faithfulness. What can we conclude from all this is this. When we are tempted to think that the ceiling and the calling, I guess the calling to purity is too high and too demanding, we look at the life and faith and devotion of Daniel and say, there is our example. He believed God. He entrusted himself and dedicated himself in his mind, resolved to do what is right. He persisted in that pursuit. He honored authority. And then God blessed him. Blessed him with favor. Protected him. Gave him influence. Enriched his life. The thing that stood out to me as I read through this and continue to study is a reflection that that very principle, when I'm often tempted to feel like I'm alone in pursuing what is righteous, I need to train my eye to see the good hand of God moving around. God is gracious, is compassion, he protects his people, and he continues to encourage them and strengthen them, just as he did Daniel here. Well, next week we'll come back together and begin to look at Daniel and his interactions with Nebuchadnezzar and his reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this marvelous and rich example. We do ask that when we grow weak and weary, when we are overwhelmed by the pressures and difficulties, that we would be mindful of this life of faith. We go back to being resolved to be pure be persistent in the pursuit of righteousness, even overcoming obstacles, honoring those authorities that you have created, trusting that you would supply the grace that we need in the moment to endure as you had promised to do, looking to your good hand to grant favor and knowing that ultimately you will reward at the proper time. Just as you have promised in your scriptures that at the proper time, if we've humbled ourselves, you will lift us up. And indeed, may we find comfort in walking in faith like that, trusting you, yielding to you, seeking you with whole hearts and dedicated to you, and then seeing your good favor poured out upon us. Thank you for being so faithful. When we've grown weak, when we have doubted, when we have trusted in ourselves rather than you, may we quickly come to our senses and turn to you source of all goodness and grace. Again, thank you for this marvelous study tonight. Enrich us with your word and keep our hearts and minds meditating on these things so that we would be able to stand firm in the day of temptation. It's in your blessed name we pray. Amen.